This is Holland McSallister of the Greasy Strangler, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Without your head, I'm Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Joe David Walters, oinker of the Greasy Strangler for Greasy Week here on Without Your Head. How you doing? Yeah, good. How about yourself? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, I'm happy to be talking to uh, to yourself. Now, I always uh, I just have to ask, what did you think when you heard the name Greasy Strangler? Um. Well. Yeah, I mean Jim Hosking's a good friend of mine, so the the name had been around way before. It seemed uh, likely that anything would ever come of it, and then I knew that they had written the script, and that it was just just one of sort of an arsenal of scripts that he kind of carried it around. And when it came to be that that was the one that ended up being the first movie that Jim would make, I was a little bit surprised, but, uh, I, I sort of knew what to expect. <laughs> yeah. Well, why surprised? Do you, do you just think it was too odd? Um, well, no, no, I just expected, you know, his debut film to maybe be something that like horror was just kind of outside of the box, really. Uh, mm-hmm it's always had been sort of more about odd characters and sort of unusual scenarios, uh, that he likes to explore, but horror hadn't really become, uh, a thing, even though I know he had joked around with it a couple of times, but we had worked on a script together quite a long time ago called Pazzo, which was being pitched as like the first film because we went uh, with our short film Renegades to Mm -hmm. Sundance now, I think nearly seven years ago. And that was both of our first trips out there. And that was when people sort of started sniffing around. But of course it turns out to be much more difficult uh, to make a feature than it is uh, than it would seem, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've been watching his shorts cause I love the greasy strangler so much. And, yeah. uh, I just, uh, all of them are, are great. They all have the same kind of weird sense of humor. And like you said, odd characters, everyone 
looks interesting and uh, everything looks cool too. The the the, movie, the films themselves. So, how long have you known Jim? Uh, I guess nearly ten or twelve years now. Um, I met Jim when he first moved to Los Angeles. I was living there at the time, and um, he was directing commercials and. So I met him on a job, and we sort of realized we had similar tastes in music and a sense of humor, and so we just started going out and drinking and goofing around. And so then I ended up being uh, in a number of his commercials, and the majority of the cast of The Greasy Strangler and the shorts have all also been in Jim mm-hmm. Hosking's commercials. Uh, so when he was going to move from Los Angeles back to London, he wanted to make something as sort of like a memento. And so we called in a lot of favors and we uh, put together Renegades, which was shot on 35 millimeter. And it's the same cinematographer. It's a lot of the same uh, people. I mean, the same wardrobe, same everything. It was just this sort of family that he had made while he was there. And so we made that with really no expectations of anything happening uh, with it. And then it miraculously got accepted into Sundance and we went out there for it. And uh, yeah, the reaction was quite exciting. You know, people people's reactions varied from like disgusted and <laughs> saying that it was a, uh, you know, horrible to other people saying that it's changing the face of cinema, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think Jim just has a very unique voice and vision and, uh, yeah, it was just sort of a, a project of love and to just sort of be able to, not have to play to anyone's expectations Mm -hmm. uh, was a real gift on Renegades and I think something that's carried through in his other work. Mm -hmm. How different was was Sundance uh, when you're there with the short as compared to being there with a feature? Well, uh, we had a lot of fun that first time and uh, the festival itself was smaller, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at this point now there's people that just go out there to party that don't even go to movies. And, uh, it's almost a bit like the South by Southwest music festival or something like it's just this excuse for people to get wasted. But our calendar was a lot less busy and we weren't trying to sell a film. And, uh, so yeah, we had a lot more time to sort of drink and meet people and, uh, socialize you know the the magic of Sundance is that you end up with a lot of creative people and actors directors you know all facets of the industry that are effectively trapped in this small you know snow logged town uh so you end up there's only so many places to eat or so many places to drink and so right end up meeting a bunch of people that you never really thought you'd meet. And you're all there as equals because you're all, you know, have something in the festival. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and that being our first experience of it, it was a great time. But this last time 
Jim in particular was super busy, not only, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to sell this movie, but setting up meetings for the second film that he just wrapped on. And, uh, yeah, but it was, it was a good time. The, the greasy house was quite a, uh, (laughs) an experience. Uh, the the house itself, you mean, or the, uh, yeah, we, we had a, well, Spectre Vision had rented a, uh, a house there that was, you know, like seven bedrooms or something. So Michael mm-hmm. and uh, Sky and Elizabeth and I and Elijah and a couple of the producers were all in this same joint. So yeah, it was a it was a baptism by fire. <laughs> What's Elijah like? Because uh, I think it's to me. It, I always thought about the show. I think it's really cool. It's someone who could just you know make like mainstream big movies and. Uh, you know, have a great uh, career that is, that he helps out, like, uh, you know, produce a lot of uh, strange underground kind of independent stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I've known Elijah for an, a number of years and never, like, I've never seen Lord of the Rings or anything. So mm-hmm. uh, to me, he's just a dude. Uh, but it's, you know, pretty shocking when you walk down the street with him just, you know, this horrible phenomenon of people that just feel they can grab a selfie with anyone, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you know, you end up feeling a bit protective of them because, you know, I don't think of them right. like as a superstar or anything, but people freak out when he comes in the room. But he's a just a super normal, sweet guy, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. I think he does all this because he's just super interested in the yeah. entire craft of filmmaking you know and you discover one part of it as an actor and then you discover another thing when you go into production and sort of overseeing the slew of details and uh you know i'm sure that eventually he'll end up directing something himself mm-hmm. now uh you know several of the people were in renegades like yourself and sky and uh at least uh sal who plays ricky uh prickles uh was like uh, Oinker specifically written for you, or was it just known that you'd be in this somehow? Um, well, yeah, Jim effectively said, "Read the script, and any part you want is yours." Uh, and I read it, and I said, "Well, I'm Braden," <laughs> and, uh, and he said, "Well, I'm a bit shocked by that," uh, and he said. You know, I don't know who we could get to play your dad uh, if it was you as Braden, because he'd already sort of had, I think he'd had Sky in mind the whole time. But so then I did audition for Braden, and actually my real dad auditioned for <laughs> That's the part cool. of Michael. Yeah. Uh, so that would have been a, a completely different film. But, uh, but yeah, so it, it ended up going that way because it just did my dad had acted quite a lot in the in the past but hadn't in you know 30 or 40 years and it just didn't end up right and uh michael is of course amazing and um so then when i looked through the rest of the script oinker just sort of stuck out so there i became oinker yeah uh, I assume it always you always were gonna wear a uh, pig nose since the name was Oinker, but 
Uh, do you have any idea where that came from? Is this, or just uh, something, you know, bizarre for the movie? I had asked Jim a bit about that, and I think he had just seen a photo of a guy wearing a pig's nose and sort of <laughs> thought it was funny. Uh, uh-huh. But the, the character is originally written as an Australian, and he wanted me to do an Australian accent. And I live in London now, and I don't even audition here with an English accent, <laughs> though I can kind of do one. But I I don't really agree with actors kind of pretending to be an Englishman or even an Englishman pretending to be an American because they just don't ever seem to really nail it, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, I always have a, a problem with getting beyond their dialogue thing. So I begged yeah. and pleaded with Jim to not make him Australian, even though I tried to work on it as an Australian thing a bit. And, mm-hmm. uh, then when we finally got onto set and he was like, so what is your voice going to be? And I said, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, <laughs> and, and so we didn't, uh, he didn't see what Oinker was going to be until that first take, which is the scene where, uh, I walk down the street and meet Braden. And then we say, we're all going to go to the horror house or whatever that evening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, two things are actually because I'm from Massachusetts, so I understand about the the uh, the accent. Anytime I see a Boston accent in a movie, it's usually so over the top. It's just re- it's very annoying. Um, even yeah. in like real big movies, in like uh, it's actually one of my problems with The Departed is the accents are very bad. Uh, right. And horror and horror house because I do the horror show, and so often I tell people, you know, I'll be going to a horror convention, and they totally think I'm saying something else. And just look at you. <laughs> you got like, to take it easy with those R's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I knew you were a little shady anyway, but I, I, I didn't know you were into that. So, <laughs> when uh, when I talked to Michael, he said his favorite death scene was actually killing you. And, <laughs> yeah, you, and yeah. I think that's because he actually strangled me. Uh, it was it was pretty grueling, uh, but. That scene is, uh, and I think that there is an actual cut that's going to come out maybe on this Australian DVD or whatever, but there's a cut that's over two hours. and uh, But that death scene is actually probably almost twice as long. There's a just a whole bunch of dialogue in the midst of being strangled. So it was uh, it was quite a lot of work to be strangled and speaking and dying and coming back to life and all that. Uh, Like uh, how long, how long did it take to to film that scene? Um, I I can't really recall. I mean, a couple of hours maybe because you, you know, they film like a wide shot and they film a tight and then they go around and film, uh, Michael just strangling and, you know, so there's all sorts of coverage on it, but, uh, we didn't do that many takes of the really grueling bits. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the shot when he sticks his finger in your nose, I assume that's with, uh, done after, but like, uh, how was that film? How was that filmed? 
Oh, um, yeah, it's all filmed in the same thing. Basically, they just blacked out my nose. And um, I have a friend here in London named Tom Proctor who works for a company called Double Neg, and they do uh, special effects on, you know, huge films like... Uh, I don't think they did Star Wars, but they do, you know, Superman, Tom Cruise, all sorts of huge, big budget things. Uh, and I knew a couple of my friends from the States that had come over and were working for that company. And Tom was a big fan of uh, Jim Hosking's stuff because he'd seen Renegades and watched uh, the rest of the shorts and always wanted to find a way to work together and though there wasn't much money on this project tom took it to his senior uh people there and pitched it because they the company has an initiative to help out small local things probably as a tax write-off but uh so tom took it as a project that they sort of did in downtime and so the majority of those uh special effects which you know, are sort of purposely cartoony looking are actually done by, you know, an industry leader sort of a special effects company. And uh, Tom uh, specifically oversaw like how they were sort of executed. And I was sent a short clip of just the finger going in the nose <laughs> before I had seen anything. And I was pretty amazed at what they were able to pull off there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, did, did you get to keep any of the wardrobe? I don't know if you'd want to or not, but, uh, uh, I have the nose. <laughs> oh, <all right. laughs> I always try to keep like something from, uh, from each little job I do. Uh, yeah. and so, yeah, the nose specifically, since it was rather uncomfortable and just glued to my face became my, uh, my souvenir of this one. Mm-hmm. Was that harder to, to get on or off? I would assume it's forced to take off since it's glued to your nose. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would sort of fall off on its own accord. Oh, right. uh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it was definitely not a super uh, bespoke item. It's kind of like practically paper mache and cardboard, you know. Mm-hmm. I know Sky and Michael mentioned it wasn't fun getting uh, prosthetics glued on, but theirs were in a different area. So, yeah, uh, and the, the the greasy suit in particular was uh, was a, a real thing. You know that they used some sort of stuff that was like a icy hot kind of thing. So it was like quite cold. I can't remember the name of it that they covered yeah. Michael in and. The, he was a trooper, though. You know, he'd sit around in that in that thing for extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. So, had you ever seen the movie Cat Baloo? Because actually, that's what I thought about when, even though it's not a pig nose, but that's when I, I thought about when I saw a man with a pig nose. Mm, no, I haven't seen it. Oh I'll well, one of the uh, that's yeah, it's it's a really old uh, musical western, which I always liked when I was a kid. But uh, one yeah. of the characters has a has a metal nose. Because uh, oh, right. he, he had his nose bitten off. Yeah. <laughs> do you do you have any was, back? Did you think of any backstory to yourself why you were missing a nose? 
No, I tried not to get too deep into it, but uh, I assumed I kind of my little bit of backstory just was that, you know, he was sort of a loner partier and uh, probably did some sort of evil drug that had corroded his nose and Uh uh, he still kept the party alive by renting his disco shoes and uh, (laughs) dressing in his provocative manner Uh, Uh but he was taken out of the party circuit and now forced to hang out with Ronnie and Big Braden Mm -hmm. so when you see the finished uh, movie and uh, you know the music's added and it's edited you know how it's said and everything uh, what did you think about it? And it, was it different than what you thought it would be from the the script? Uh, yeah. During shooting, I couldn't really imagine what was going to happen, you know, because the acting style is very unique, uh, to say the least. So mm-hmm. it was hard to imagine it assembled. And I live you know, in London, as does Jim. So I see him quite often, and I know when, you know, how long he was working on the edit and that it was a, a bit of a struggle. And I kept asking to see it, and he had initially said he was going to show me, and then they kept having screenings, and then he said, uh, you know, I think you should just wait and see it uh, in front of an audience. And when it when we went to Sundance and the premiere, you know, at midnight that first night, uh, yeah, it was pretty shocking. You know, I think <laughs> everyone in the cast, we were all sat together, and uh, and I didn't know what to think. I was just disoriented. Um, I walked out of it and I mean, a lot of people walked out of the theater that first night and. The you know the the Q and A session, which I think there's video of somewhere, like you know Michael and Sky just don't know what to say, and then uh, somebody asked me outside what I felt like, and I said oh, it felt a bit like a public execution <laughs> of my friends and family, and then uh-huh. we got we got into a car, Sky and Michael and uh, Elizabeth and. Everyone was just silent, uh, which is not really typical of that lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <And> <laughs> we got back to the house, and uh, Elijah was outside, like, checking sort of social media. And uh, Michael was just, like, having some sort of body uh, issues, you know, like, oh my God, I didn't know I looked like that. And, uh, right, right. Yeah. And then, then everybody just sort of retreated to their rooms and didn't really talk about it. And then when we woke up in the morning, uh, the Jordan Hoffman review and the uh, Guardian had come out and it was, you know, glowing and saying great things. And then more reviews came out and they were on the whole pretty positive. And then the next day was quite exciting, I guess, because we had a, a whole lot of press to do. And now the sort of pressure of not knowing what the film was like was gone. Mm-hmm. So, and there was an excitement around and the green, the, the pink beanies were everywhere. And, uh, 
which I love. Sort of took momentum and uh, got a little life of its own. And then the next screening that night was just a lot more fun, you know, because we knew what to expect. And yeah, uh, then you could kind of enjoy it. The first time watching it, you're just kind of like, what have I got myself into? <laughs> right, right. So I, I just know from, I, I absolutely love the movie. Uh, that's why I'm, you know, doing this here in the show. This is so unique, so original, like uh, really like not like any other movie I've ever seen before. And it made me laugh the whole movie. But I know uh, people I've told to watch it, I get one or w- one of two different reactions is they love it just like me. Or it's like, you know, what is wrong with you? And I, I couldn't finish it. But there's nobody yeah. who's like, eh, it's okay. You know, it's either very, very yeah. huge praise or, or hatred, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in England, uh, they have a thing called the Marmite effect. You know, you either love it or hate it, and uh, I think that's that's sort of the case of uh, the film. You know, it's a bit polarizing, but people who are interested in cinema can tell that it's, you know, a a unique statement, at least, and that it's beautifully executed you know uh mm-hmm. technically there's nothing that can really be flawed with it and uh it's just like how far are you willing to uh push your acceptance of characters and story and you know the absurdity comes from the content mm-hmm. and i'm glad you said technically because even just there's some great shots in the movie well pretty much the whole movie but uh you know, the movement of the camera and the, this is the whole cinematography of the film. Uh, you know, yeah, it's more Martin than just the silliness. Yeah, Martin Tedden, who's the uh, cinematographer, had worked with Jim on a bunch of things, including commercials and Renegades and Crabs. Uh, and I think if you look at Renegades, like, you know, that sort of opening sequence of shots is quite reminiscent of the opening sequence of shots of the greasy strangler and it's very much a part of the identity of the film and uh you know at the time that we went to sundance with renegades like everybody had this handheld jerky camera uh digital thing in the shorts program at least and you know we were very static and uh, just sort of more almost traditionally shot, and that's shot on 35mm film. So uh, it's very sort of studied in its composition, and it's always, you know, beautifully put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greasy Strangler wasn't shot in 35mm, was it? No, I believe that shot on the red camera or whatever, you know, the... The, mm-hmm. Even though there was a decent budget on it, uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't think much is shot on 35 mil these days. Yeah. Just uh, you seem like you're a fan of film. What's the importance of 35 millimeter? Uh, you know, it's it's I, I'm just a fan of, I guess, obsolete and uh, analog <laughs> technologies, you know, uh-huh. uh, it's there's just a beauty to the fact that the more the film plays the more flaws become inherent in it. You know, uh, 
a scratched frame or some dust or there's just all these things that are missing in these sort of perfect high resolution images and uh mm-hmm. you know there's magic in the grading there's magic in the development there's just and and it's also you know each take just sort of seems to have more weight because you can't go and redo it you know right it's it's literally in the can and so uh you know quite often specifically on renegades you know even if we wanted to do another take we couldn't because we still needed to use that film for you know a different shot so Mm -hmm. it just sort of ups the heat i guess you know so you kind of have to bring your game and uh you're much less likely to you know just in the middle of a take go oh hey can we start over (laughs) right right yeah and just uh uh, uh, watching movie in 35 millimeter just to say we're lucky to have some cool theaters in boston that still show uh movies in in uh in 35 like uh the cool age shows every weekend they have midnight movies and show a lot of older stuff in original 35 and there's really nothing like even if you've seen a movie a million times there's nothing like seeing it on the big screen in the big screen like uh how it was originally meant to be seen yeah i mean it's like you know i guess it's a bit like the vinyl cd thing you know there's uh you could listen to the latest remastered version or you could listen to how it was actually released in 65 or something. And to me, the more authentic experience is the way that it came out when it came out, you know? Yeah. You mentioned the pink beanies, which I, I thought were amazing. And I was very happy because one of, uh, one of our listeners, Jason Mitten. So I have to give him a, a nice shout out here. He sent me one. I was ecstatic to get one. Uh, All do right. you still have, yeah. Do you still have your pink beanie? Yeah, I think I, I have, I, I have more than one. Uh, not that the world needs to know that. But, uh, but I'd be no, coming was, to get it now. Yeah, he'll have to keep, <laughs> keep it locked I away. Sent, I was sent uh, back with um, two for somebody, and somebody never got there. But yeah, it was uh, the first day that we were at uh, Sundance. We were walking down the street and um tim alamo you know from the alamo draft house who is a producer on the film was walking towards us in this pink beanie and i saw that it said greasy and we (laughs) said i was walking with michael and uh and we said greasy to him and he just sort of looked at us funny and i don't know if he didn't realize (coughs) <coughs> who we were or whatever but later when we got back to the house we saw that they were everywhere and uh and yeah michael and sky never took it off of their head the rest of the time they were there i <laughs> i think uh, i never really put it on i'm just not much of a beanie dude <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. i don't know it's pretty sweet but yeah, I guess. Yeah, I see. <laughs> yeah, I see pictures. It seems like you're more of a, a cowboy hat man. From uh, uh, yeah, I I just like good hats. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, pink beanies are very. Uh, it's kind of a niche uh, thing, I suppose. Yeah, so it's a, it's a statement piece. 
Exactly. How did you end it up? It was amazing to see. It, it was amazing to see the green, the pink beanies put to usage in the that women's march or whatever yeah. when everyone had uh-huh. their pink hats on. Uh huh. Yeah, a little different, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what made you uh, uh, end up in London? How did you end up there? Uh, I I just. I'd been in L.A. for nearly 15 years and came to London a couple times just to visit. And then, uh, yeah, just dug it. And I was looking for a different sort of thing. I got kind of burnt out in L.A. And, uh, and yeah, so just came and moved here uh, on sort of a, a whim and... I've now ended up being here almost six years. No, oh, very cool. So, uh, what are the things uh, do you have in the works? What are the projects? Uh, I've just done some like small stuff. Uh, I'm in a remake of this movie of the Steve McQueen Dustin Hoffman film called Papillon. Yeah, which, uh, I actually, yeah, go on. Which Charlie Hunnam and Rami Malek are in, uh, and I was in this other movie called Brimstone, which uh, is like a western uh, sort of extended thing, which shot in Germany uh, with Dakota Fanning and some other people that I don't remember. I'm not good with names so much, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, that's about it. Yeah, because I saw Papillon was on your uh, IMDb page, and that's like my favorite Steve McQueen movie, actually. And so it was, oh, uh, right. yeah, I didn't re- I didn't realize we were remaking it until until I noticed it was on your page. Uh, like, uh, did you? Is that already been filmed, or is that coming up? Yeah, we shot that in Serbia nearly six months ago, so I imagine they wrapped on it uh, probably four or five months ago now, uh, and it's a bit more of a true retelling of the, of the novel. If you've ever mm-hmm. read the, the book. Uh, so it's a little less of the McQueen sort of vehicle. Uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's all sort of beautifully shot, very period piece. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see it myself. I yeah. love the original and the McQueen sort of untouchable in my eyes. I agree. And if on the Blu-ray, there's a really great uh, special in the original movie where it's the real guy. He goes back to the prison, like with the island where oh, the prison right. used to be, and he just yeah. kind of revisits it. You know, it's no longer prison, but still, you know, just wild to see him walking around. And, you know, it's obviously very emotional to him. Yeah. Does he go to the cliff that he supposedly jumped off? <laughs> no, the, <laughs> no, they don't. They don't go to that island. They go to the uh, the one where there was the the actual regular prison. Is it? Yeah. Oh uh, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> but it's still pretty cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, uh, what made you get into acting? What made you like decide you want to be an actor? Uh, well, I grew up in Texas, and uh, down there, well, I was I, I was a child actor, and then. In high school, they have quite a uh, a program of going to drama tournaments, uh, and 
I got involved in that because it was a great way to have a four-day school week because mm. on Fridays we'd get like on a tour bus and go somewhere in Texas to another high school to compete in, uh, you know, these sort of drama battles to the death. And uh, <clears throat> I we were quite a successful school called Gregory Portland, and through that I ended up getting a... Um, a scholarship to the University of Texas, but that was tied to getting a degree in drama. So I had an acting degree, uh, applied for jobs and, you know, people just kind of laugh at you for getting a bachelor of fine arts in drama because it's not really, uh, a practical skill in life. And so I, I just moved to Los Angeles, uh, because I knew that there is acting work there, but I never really uh, set out or dedicated myself solely to pursuing acting as like the the full time thing. Because it, mm-hmm. I just saw it sort of consume too many people's lives out there, you know. Uh, so I had an agent, and I, you know, auditioned. My main source of income was. Uh, doing television commercials, which is how I came to Hosking. And now these days I'm not really interested in doing commercials and just sort of occasionally audition for little film bits. Mm-hmm. Now you mentioned you were surprised that, uh, he went with a horror movie for greasy strangler, which is debatable for, I guess it's horror elements, but, um, what kind of movies, uh, do you like? And are you, do you like horror movies at all? Uh, I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sort of a basic consumer, you know, I, I like, uh, blockbuster films sometimes, but I like little independent things as well. Mm-hmm. I really love documentary filmmaking because I guess in the same respect that I like biographies more than novels, it just seems more interesting to me, uh. But I love, you know, old films. I'm a huge student of uh, Buster Keaton and Brando and McQueen and, you know, all the sort of these actors that were able to create a persona that went along with their careers, uh, which I don't think really happens anymore these days. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I I guess some people are, rabid fans of Ryan Gosling, but I'm certainly not in those ranks. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, do, uh, is there any horror movies you do like? Uh, I'm just trying to think of anything that comes right to mind. Uh, nothing's really jumping out at me at the moment, though. <laughs> <laughs> no problem, no problem. I, what mean, was the, cert- the, yeah, I guess the, the classic sort of slashers like Friday the 13th and all those, you know, that you grew up with when you were actually scared in the cinema are mm-hmm. are good. Uh, and then sort of psychological thrillers, a la Hitchcock, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you can't beat Psycho. But, um... Yeah. Mm. So how can people find you? Like, not not in London where you're living, but if they want to follow you online. 
Well, yeah, during the sort of shooting of, uh, I mean, dur- during Sundance and all that, my Twitter handle was my name is Oinker. Uh, <laughs> but I, after the movie has now come out and promotional activities are done, I'm just listed on there as my name, which is Joe David Walters. There is still a lingering my name is Oinker Instagram account that has some photos from the Sundance era and uh, yeah I guess you could I think on my Twitter page it also links to IMDB if you happen to be interested in seeing what else you could see yeah and uh, what was Serbia like Uh, really amazing actually Uh, it's a beautiful place and just amazingly cheap you know Uh, the the economy, I guess, is still not that great, even though it's on its way back. So um, there were the food was amazing, the people were amazing, uh, very friendly. Uh, I would recommend anyone going there. Okay, very cool. And uh, would you like to work with uh, Jim again? Yeah, I hope to. Um, he. Yeah, I, I just, there now seems to be, uh, you know, a second phase of his career in this newer film has sort of more big name people in it. Uh, and so he's not really working with the, the unknown as much. Uh, but I'm certain that uh, if the opportunity comes, that we shall embrace it. Yeah. And uh, I, I did ask we thought of the finished movie, but what did you think specifically of the music? Because I, I, for me, it really adds to the movie. Yeah, I, got, I only got to know Andrew um, at Sundance, uh, even though he lives here as well. I had was supposed to meet up with him and Jim a couple times before the <clears throat> before the premiere happened. Uh, and I've seen him once or twice since we're back, but yeah, it's amazing. Uh, it's really fun, and I'm into the sort of analog synth stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. I think he really created a, a, a whole other world there. Jim was uh, having quite a struggle trying to find the right uh, soundtrack to it uh, from stuff that already existed, and mm-hmm. um, Andrew came really came through with a, a mass masterpiece in a very short period of time. Yeah. Cause it's a good, I think it's a good contrast. It's weird. Cause I think it fits, but it's also contrasting cause you're watching like a lot of horrible stuff going on, but then you have that kind of quirky music and it kind of, it just makes it seem more fun. And I don't know. It just really adds to the whole movie. I dig it. Yeah. Did you get the pink vinyl? I did not. I did not get the pink vinyl. <laughs> It, I don't have a record pretty, player. Uh, so, yeah, it might be a reason to get one, but <laughs> no, it's worth it. Worth it just for the cover art alone. You get a a big nude photo of Michael in the car wash. Oh, excellent! Which <laughs> I, <laughs> that's my screensaver. No, no, <laughs> but it is pretty awesome scene, and I, I love all the repetition in the movie. Actually, like. Uh, uh, some of the lines and, you know, seeing the car wash over and over. And all that stuff really works. It's just, uh, I love the Greasy Strangler. But <laughs> Great. 
Uh, have you had a chance to speak with Jim yet? I have not. Uh, it's a, uh, I would love to, uh, but I, uh, I'll, I'll try to. I, I tried a few weeks ago, but he, I think it, he was actually filming his new movie when I tried because I believe Sky was working on it. But uh, yeah, I've had just about everyone from the movie on. But uh, yeah, we need to get Jim on the show. Yes, sir. I think he's got a slight window of downtime, so be, be ardent in your pursuit. All right, very cool, very cool. And uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned I uh, I showed the movie to my co-host uh, Annabelle, who couldn't be here today, and I was really yeah. worried that that she would be like, "Oh my god, like why do you like this movie so much?" But uh, we, I recorded us watching it uh, at TerrorCon in Rhode Island uh, in the hotel room, and uh, she loved it just as much as me. So I was, I was very I was very happy about that. Or else I would have had That's... to replace her. Yeah, <laughs> That's comforting. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Well, I want to thank you for uh, talking to me. All right, thank you. Yeah, it's been great. Thanks. All right, have a good one. You too.